we've seen a level of authenticity that we haven't seen before, right? I think people now realize that we're just dealing with other human beings and not every day is going to be perfect. And yes, you do have a kid crying or someone who needs help with their homework. Uh, and you just want to empathize with that. Welcome to Office Hours by Business Class from American Express. Each episode features innovative entrepreneurs and experts discussing how to navigate today's business challenges. That was Hassan Osman, best-selling author of books for busy managers, including Influencing Virtual Teams. In this episode, he explains how business leaders can create a strong culture of teamwork in an increasingly virtual world. Recorded during our live Office Hours Q&A, our conversation is guided by J.J. Ramberg, entrepreneur, author, and former MSNBC anchor. Please note, views expressed here belong to the guests interviewed and do not necessarily reflect those of American Express. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Office Hours on LinkedIn, uh, on LinkedIn Live, a series where thought leaders come to share innovative ideas and best practices for an ever-changing business climate. I'm your host, JJ Ramberg, and I am pleased to be here with today's guest, Hassan Osman. Hassan currently serves as a program management office director at a global technology firm where he leads virtual teams on delivering large and complex programs for its key U.S. customers. He's the author of several short books for busy managers, including Influencing Virtual Teams and Better Online Meetings. And he blogs regularly about productivity and projects at thecouchmanager.com. As his bio suggests, Hassan has long been on the forefront of virtual teamwork. And so for all the rest of us who are learning on the fly how to run and lead a business with a whole lot less physical proximity, he is here to offer his best insights and advice. Thank you to all of you in the audience for joining today. And for those of you watching us live, I encourage you to submit your own questions for Hassan in the comments section throughout the conversation. I know a lot of us are dealing with this very issue right now, and I suspect you will have a lot of questions. Hassan, welcome to Office Hours. Hey, JJ. Thank you so much for the kind intro and uh, pleasure to be here. Oh, it's so nice to see you. And I just, I cannot tell you how many people I've been talking to who are really struggling to think about what does office life look like when this, even when this is all over, let alone right now. But you've been thinking about this, as I said, long before the rest of us started thinking about it. What got you interested? Yeah, you know, I've always been fascinated with this idea of being able to work from anywhere in the world. Uh, so I've been working with remote teams for over 15 years in some capacity or another. Uh, so I'm fairly used to it. But even to this day, JJ, I sometimes do a, a reality check on the fact that where you work uh, can be fully decoupled from uh, from where you live, right? And uh, you know, if you think about it historically, uh, people disrupted their lives and their families' lives to move from one point to another, right? To, to go and seek a better living. And uh, just the thought that you don't probably need to do that anymore is really why I'm interested in this at a, at a macro level. Uh, now, in terms of how my interest started, it's hard to kind of nail down exactly a, a specific point, uh, but I can share an interesting story. So uh, when I interviewed for the current company that I worked for uh, 10 years ago, uh, and by the way, just as a side note, I work for Cisco Systems, but views are my own and not those of Cisco, so I don't represent the company. Uh, but an interesting story that happened. So when I interviewed for a job uh, 10 years ago at the company, I interviewed with seven different people. And it was for a remote job. It was for a senior program management job. And out of the seven people I interviewed, only one of them was face-to-face. -face. 
uh, the rest of them were on the phone. And back then, video was available, but it wasn't widely used. So it was just literally just audio phone uh, conversations. And then uh, after I, I got the job and joined the company, the only person I interviewed uh, left the company after maybe four months. So I was left working with a team that I've never seen before um, on a day-to-day -day basis, mainly on, uh, on the phone and an email, email, of course. And even my manager um, was someone I didn't know how he looked like. So I even I used to joke with my wife that, you know, if I bump into my manager at an airport or at a coffee shop, uh, we both would have no idea that we work together. So that whole idea uh, just fascinated me and it got me into writing and researching and, and publishing about the topic. Well, and interesting because you've lived it and you've lived it successfully. But it feels like we are in this revolutionary moment when it comes to the workplace. Like there is just no way we are going back to business as usual after the end of this pandemic, even when it is possible for us to go back into our workplaces. What, what trends do you see or what do you foresee for the future on that front? Yeah, you know, I think, let me start by saying it is absolutely going to be different. I think now it's sort of a given, right? And I think a big reason why is because, um, you know, employees and employers who were previously hesitant about this, you know, I have a lot of friends who work in startups and in large corporations, and they could, used to say, we could never do that, right? Uh, but now they got the, the chance to taste it, right? And the fact that they tried it and saw the benefits, whether it's overall productivity increases, cost savings on real estate, or just overall better work-life balance uh, is definitely reinforcing the fact that this is going to change, right? Um, so what are the trends that we're seeing? Well, it's, it's kind of hard to tell because different companies are in different uh, stages of, of the planning process, right? Some of them are saying, we tried this, it looks great, we're going to go all in on 100% remote, right? And you see some tech companies that already kind of signed off on that. Others, they're still in the pre-planning phases, right? They're still trying to consider what makes the most sense uh, for their employees. And the biggest trend um, that we're seeing is this hybrid model where both organizations and employees uh, don't want to go back to being 100% on-site and they also don't want to be 100% remote. So they're looking at gaining the benefits of both, right? So gaining the benefit of a reduction in real estate footprint, but also having the flexibility arrangements uh, of their employees. Uh, now the question becomes, how do you maximize the advantages of this, of this hybrid model, right? And I can give you a few examples uh, of what we're seeing out there. Yeah, go ahead, sorry. Yeah. And I want to get really concrete examples and also how you think about what works best for your company. But before we do that, you mentioned employees are seeing the benefit because they've seen higher productivity the, and, and potentially lower real estate costs. Right now, probably a lot of people are paying their rent still, but going forward, if they can get rid of it. But you mentioned higher productivity. Is it working? Is this 100% remote or almost 100% remote workforce increase in pro productivity? you've seen? Um, absolutely. And, and by the way, I just want to be careful about generalizing here, right? So it really depends on several factors. Some industries, some functions, uh, they're working more productively remotely than others. And I'll give you a couple of examples. So for example, and if you're in a sales function, uh, they're seeing that yes, it's working, but the longer term trend is that you can't really mimic those high touch relationship building type of conversations that you would have in a face-to-face -face or on-site requirement. Whereas in tech and software development, for example, you're seeing it more tilting towards 
a 100% remote because you've seen the benefits there uh, grow a little bit. But in general, um, the co companies did see an increase in productivity. So we can definitely say that, but again, with a few caveats and footnotes that you have to be careful about. Right, absolutely. And and again, we should know that it's different for every company, which gets to what you were going to talk about before, which are these hybrid models. So I'd love to hear some examples of your hybrid models, and then we'll talk about how you decide what works best for your company. So, so what are some yep. concrete examples of hybrid models? Sure. And I can give you a few. So one is this idea of hoteling uh, practices. And this is the idea, this is not new, right? So it's the idea where you reserve office space only when you need to be in the office. Uh, so you usually what you have is you don't have dedicated spaces for employees, but rather use them up when they're needed. Uh, and so what this does is it reduces your real estate bill, but it doesn't eliminate it uh, completely. And you can rely on technology, right? A lot of apps to know what um, office cubicles are available or whatnot. So that's one idea. It's those hoteling best practices. Uh, another so that, is, yep, go ahead. In that, so in that particular case, do you envision working in shared office space or do you envision having your own office space where people come and come and go? That's a great segue into my second example, which is leveraging co-working spaces. So that's a little bit different. So with hoteling, you're keeping your own office, but probably slashing it by half or, or a certain percentage and then leveraging that space for uh, hoteling, right? So where you don't need 100% capacity all the time. With co-working spaces, you know, those the idea of co-working spaces is not, is not something new. Those traditionally started uh, to reduce the cost for startups, right? Uh, but now they're being factored in as a potential solution uh, for hybrid models where you can say as a company, I'm going to go 100% remote, but then strike a deal with a co-working space uh, or a flexible workspace uh, for conference meetings, right? You can say, hey, I need it every you know, four weeks on a Thursday. I need to reserve a conference room at your site uh, to get together as a team and maybe work on some team building activities and that sort of thing. How do you begin to figure out what's best for you? What questions do you need to ask yourself? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. You know, I'm going to start with an elementary one, and that is, you know, what is sort of the plan, right? What is basically the plan that you plan on, on, on executing after this is over? So really spending the time to think about that. Do you want to stay 100% remote? Do you want to start that as 100% remote and then transition back to, to on-site as things open up? So really nailing that down. Now, in terms of what questions you need to ask, the thing you need to think about is uh, the needs of the business, right? And the needs of the business from both a customer perspective and an employee one. Uh, I gave the example earlier about sales functions, right? So, so in that perspective, you want to make sure that you understand that if, if your customers are expecting that you need to be on site, then you have to start thinking about your sales functions being a little bit more uh, on site versus a back end um, you know, IT support, for example, which can be remote, right? Um, another thing, JJ, to think about is that those work arrangements or remote work arrangements as you're making those decisions, they're typically role dependent too, right? So under the same organization, uh, you might have different approaches uh, to different business units or roles. And I'll give you an example of that. So at a medical company, for example, if you work in uh, social media tasks, then the chances of you needing to be in the office are fairly lower uh, than if you're a scientist in a lab, right? So, so both functions have different approaches in terms of your overall plan, right? So um, it's really important to nail that down, understand those needs, 
uh, before you execute because you know downsizing on real estate and then learning you need more of it isn't probably a pleasant experience. The workplace is much about people though, Hassan, and a good friend of mine who was trying to figure out what to do with his office space took a survey of all of his employees and said, when this is over, do you want to come back full-time? Do you want to come back part-time? Do you want to come back? You do want to be remote the whole time? And the answers widely varied. And so what do you do when it's not just about function, but it's about actual people, right? Maybe one person lives in a big house and has tons of space to have their own office and another person is living in a small apartment with three dogs and four kids. Right. You know, that, so let me start by saying I'm a big fan of uh, listening to your employees and keeping a finger on the pulse, right? And, you know, you mentioned surveys, there's ask me anythings, having those one-on-one -on -one conversations with your team is really important. Uh, but at the end of the day, you're going to have to focus on the needs of the business, right? What makes the most sense for your customers and for your survival? And you're going to try and accommodate everyone's requests, but let's be realistic. You're not going to be able to adapt to every single request that's out there. However, you know, showing that you care, showing that you listen, and showing that you try your best to kind of accommodate what makes the most sense for your employees, because they ultimately matter the most, uh, is something I'm, I'm a big proponent of. It's interesting because in the past, I used to think of accommodating your employees by saying, let's accommodate, figure out ways where people can work from home. And now I'm thinking of a world where you may have to accommodate people who actually work in the office because you think I want to cut down my real estate costs. Productivity is high when everyone's working from home. I don't want to be paying for rent more than I need to. Yeah. And, and that goes back to, you know, what we talked about earlier. So some companies, what they're doing to accommodate that, especially for, for uh, employees that work in already in remote states uh, or, or countries, is that they subsidize some of that co-working uh, location cost, right? To say, well, if you really need to escape from the home environment, and I've got two little girls, so I know that sometimes it's like a, a blessing <laughs> where you need to travel. Um, but all jokes aside, you know, that's something that you can consider as and factor in as part of the overall benefit that, hey, you know, if you want to be uh, working in a co-working co -working space and that makes uh, the most sense to you, we can potentially look at some sort of an environment where we we subsidize that for you. Um, I want to just pause and, and put a call out to the audience again for questions, because I know people have very particular situations right now. And I think it's a great opportunity to get to ask you what to do in their own situations, because I'm sure that while it feels particular, it's quite universal. Um, OK, but I'm going to keep going with my questions because I still have many. Um, so as we think about individual employees and 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 where they are working, suddenly you need a lot more in place. It is not everybody comes here, we all have the same computers, our backbone is in place. And I know a lot of companies have had to band-aid over issues, get people computers at home, et cetera. But what else do we need as the scaffolding for this new workplace? Yeah, so um, you know, one one thing is obviously having a solid technology infrastructure, right? Now that working remotely means that your your workforce is remote. Uh, your technology is business a business critical element of all of that, right? So it's very important to maintain your team's productivity through potential business continuity plans or backup plans uh, if things fail, right? So that's, I think, a in a way, it's sort of a given, but it's something that you absolutely need to make sure uh, that you've factored in. Uh, another is also looking at, you know, going back to this conversation of, well, you're going to offer that to your, your team, right? So 
I'm a big proponent of being very clear on expectations with that. So if you're saying that, hey, you know, we're going to go to three days on site and then two days working from home. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean you have the flexibility to choose which days you work from home and which days are in the office, right? Is everyone eligible? You know, going back to the role-specific nature of this. So things like that you need to, to, to be careful about. Same thing with a remote work policy. Um, you know, when you're changing from those COVID arrangements uh, and then shifting into a more permanent uh, type type role, uh, what is the what is changing, right? Is it going to main? Are we maintaining the status quo, or are we kind of changing a little bit? And we have to be very clear on that. And then another thing is time zone differences, right? I think factoring that in because a lot of people now, with the flexibility of working from anywhere, um, are probably going to think about potential movements, right? And and that's sort of something you want to factor into your plan because those questions are definitely going to come up. We've had this kind of reprieve from formality because of COVID, right? Everyone expects that somebody on this call is going to have a dog barking or a kid come into the screen. Uh, someone, hairs, someone is going to have their hair in a ponytail because they just came in from a run. Will that change? So if, if suddenly you're not home because you are forced to be home, but rather because this is now the new way we work, does the formality go up a little bit or do we still have allowances for pets, kids, et cetera? You know, I think uh, I think it's very contextual, right? So I'll, I'll give you an example. I think in a client-facing organization, for example, uh, we see that the internal policies, meaning when you're on a meeting with your own colleagues, it's a lot more relaxed, right? You know, uh, whether I can't comment on my hairstyle, <laughs> but, you know, if your hair is in a bunch, then that's totally okay. Uh, or you've got a dog barking or, or some construction going on in the background. But when you're in a client-facing um, online meeting or virtual meeting, then the rules are a little bit, you know, different there in the sense that you want to make sure that your background is not, you know, not cluttery, that you, you minimize distractions and then you look professional, right? Uh, instead of being in a jogging suit or a, so in your sweatpants, then you really need like to be in, in business casual uh, attire. So I think that uh, is probably going to be a little bit more refined and clarified as we, as we move forward. But I do want to mention one thing, and that is that we've seen a level of authenticity that we haven't seen before, right? I think people now realize that we're just dealing with other human beings, and not every day is going to be perfect. And yes, you do have a kid crying or someone who needs help with their homework, uh, and you just want to empathize with that, right? You want to understand that this is not something that parents sometimes look forward to, right? I don't think anyone wants to be distracted when they're on a call. Uh, with a kid's, you know, baby crying or someone asking for for some help. So, um, you know, I think that's that would remain that that sort of understanding and empathy. Uh, but overall, I think they will be refined in terms of here. Here's some of the etiquette that you need to focus on. It also occurs to me that um, in the future, my children will actually be at school during this time and right. not asking me for lunch every day. Uh, it also gets me thinking about managers. So it is one thing, a lot of people get into management positions and they've never had management training. And let's face it, we've all either been there ourselves or had managers who just aren't very good at it. And to be managing people who are, who are remote takes a whole nother level of expertise, empathy, organization, et cetera. So it feels to me like as an organization, you got to be on top of that. Yeah, definitely. And we talked about step one, in my mind, which is empathy, right? It's just knowing that you listen and you care. 
Step two is in those type of situations, right? And you're going to have one-offs. Uh, is try to problem solve with your team rather than for your team, right? So I'll give you an example. Um, you know, if you have a standing call, you know, a weekly staff call where a couple of your team members uh, are struggling, right? They, that is particularly tough for them to join or you're noticing that you just some extra noise around the house, then consider shifting some of those team calls to accommodate, you know, earlier in the day or later in the day uh, for those team members. Of course, not at the expense of the rest of the team. Um, and one recommendation here as a manager is to have those types of conversations one-on-one, uh, -on -one, uh, right, and, and private, as opposed to in a team setting, because they can get a little bit uncomfortable. So those are some of the strategies that, as part of working in a remote setting, being understanding, and then try and problem solve with your team as a you know as opposed to for them, uh, is really going to go a long way. But I just mean day-to-day -day, um, getting work done, right? If you are sitting next to somebody who is in, um, in maybe it's somebody new who's there, you have a sense of how they are working, what are they going to get done, how much time does it take them. If somebody is at home and I am not interacting with them whatsoever, I might have a sense of, oh, okay, it takes John three days to do this project, but that's weird because it takes Mary only one day. What's going on right. here? Yeah, I mean, that happens a lot too, right? Um, and I think it goes back to the fundamentals of uh, management, and that is to manage by objectives as opposed to by, um, you know, by time, right? So, uh, you know, a lot of the management leadership teams before we hit COVID and everyone started to work remotely, one of the things that was against remote working is how do I ensure, how do I trust that my employees are actually getting the work done? And to your point, mm -hmm. getting it uh, done in the appropriate time that we think it needs to be done. And the counter to that argument was, this is going to happen whether you're you know, breathing down their neck or not, right? In a way that is, is this something that is a, a fundamental employee issue or is it really about the remote arrangement? And I would argue that a lot of cases, it's a, a manager-employee conversation that needs to happen with very open um, you know, expectations about here's what we're expecting in terms of how much work this is going to take and when we need it back and to kind of address it that way. But I think you touch upon an important thing, JJ, and that is how do you sort of maybe manage a, a hybrid team? I don't want to get ahead of myself, but but that has its own sort of ways in which we can, uh, um, you know, consider and, and approach as well. Well, let's get right into it. How do you manage a okay. hybrid team? Cool. So, so one of the things that you want to be careful about is that when you have a, two, let's say, call it two sub teams, right? You have a team that's on site, uh, you know, hopefully after this is over soon, that they're meeting um, in, in the office. And then you have three remote employees that are not part of that team. Uh, what I recommend is that you're, you're inclusive of that team uh, using technology. So when I say inclusive, I really mean that in terms of communication and collaboration, that you want to make sure that they are part of that. Uh, and the way you do that is simply, you know, things like turning on video. So if the team is meeting uh, in a conference room uh, and you have a couple of remote team members join in, then make sure that video is turned on so that they can read the facial expressions, the body language, that sort of thing. Uh, similarly, we have a tendency to be off camera and then, you know, sort of whiteboard uh, uh, some ideas. Uh, either making sure that the camera is pointed to that whiteboard so that you're part of that brainstorming discussion, uh, or maybe use some of the technology where you can whiteboard on uh, your screen uh, to make sure that you're including their thoughts. 
Uh, but one thing that's important, and I, and I understand you cannot be 100% inclusive of everyone all the time because you are going to have those serendipitous uh, impromptu meetings, right, that are going to happen between members who are on site. And so I would say make sure that you uh, focus on including your remote team members where it counts. So if a couple of team members have like a, you know, impromptu meeting and they make a, an important decision, then make sure that you email you know, Brian, who's remote and say, hey, you know, Joanne and I kind of just um, came up with this decision. Uh, what do you think or what are your thoughts? Right. So so being being really mindful about where you're going to go with that is it goes a long way. Do you insist on people having their video on all the time? No, I mean, I, I'm, I'm respectful of the fact that uh, some people might not be able to turn it on. But, you know, I, I do encourage it. I think, you know, if I think about something called the pyramid of communication with face-to-face -face communication being at the top with the highest level of intimacy and cohesion, and then email being on, on the bottom, which is the driest form of communication, you know, video conferencing is very close to that face-to-face, -face, right? It's, it's sort of the second best thing that we have. And so highly encouraged. I really think that it adds a lot more uh, of a, an additional dimension to communication, right? A lot of it is nonverbal. Uh, and so uh, I'm a big proponent of saying, you know, maybe once a week or once a month, let's all turn video turn video on and then maybe being a little bit more lax on, on the other calls. We're getting some questions in. I knew we would get a bunch of them. About burnout factor. Have you noticed a difference in the burnout factor, factor between in-person, remote or hybrid? Yes. So in terms of uh, a burnout factor, definitely remote is on top of the list because the boundaries of your work and life are now blended, right? So you wake up, uh, <laughs> open the laptop and you're on, on you know, your meeting, right? Uh, whereas with, with being on site, you take your time, have a cup of coffee, commute in, and that's, that's sort of like a, a psychological boundary in terms of where work uh, starts and ends. Uh, and that's, by the way, correlated with the idea of higher uh, productivity, right? So uh, it is very important to make sure that you do set some boundaries uh, in terms mm -hmm. of your work time, because even your employee employer doesn't want you to burn out, because then that would end up becoming a decrease in productivity and a, and a lower amount of uh, or level of morale uh, in terms of that. And no employer wants that. Well, it's interesting. I put early on in this, I put on my... Um on my schedule, a break with my daughter every single day when she had a break from school, because if not, she was coming in wanting to be with me and everything got confused. And I was trying to do work and trying to be with her at the same time. And in the same way, I might go grab a coffee with a colleague. If I were actually in the office, I'm in essence, grabbing a coffee with my daughter. <laughs> but it, yeah, I, I love that. And, you know, that should be encouraged that you have to factor in. I mean, the, the idea behind working remotely is the whole work-life balance, right? And as long as it's not interfering with the, with the work schedule or productivity, then, you know, definitely focus on, on taking care of yourself um, and, and your family as well, right? So, so those types of things where you can, you know, schedule in some, some time. I mean, usually even when you're on site, people take an hour for lunch. Uh, and with right. remote work, not a lot of people are actually doing that, but it's a it's a good best practice to maybe, you know, uh, block out half an hour and then do what you need to do. Some people like to exercise. Some people like to just take a mental break. That's all really important for overall productivity. All right. We've got more questions. Are there ways that employees can persuade their boss to get on board with a more hybrid model if they're resistant? So we're making the assumption right now that all the all the employers <laughs> 
we want a hybrid model, but now here's a situation where they want to go back to business as usual. Yeah, you know, this is a little bit tricky because it depends on the culture of, of the company. There's the, uh, you know, uh, style of leadership at the team. But I would say if I were to give one tip, that would be, uh, you know, show them the data, right? Uh, there's a lot of anecdotes out there that actually show that overall, uh, where we're headed is a either a hybrid model or with a lot of cases, a fully remote uh, type of arrangement. And, uh, you know, keep in mind, I, I do want to mention one thing here, and I'm glad someone asked the question that, you know, with this remote workforce uh, trend that we're heading towards, employers now have a lot of options, right? The access to talent has just exploded. So no longer are you uh, constrained to a 75 mile radius of where you're located. Um, so employers have a lot of options, but so do employees, right? So meaning that this is sort of uh, opening up competition. And if you're not taking care of your employees, and I again, I, I want to be very careful about uh, making assumptions because every company is different. But one thing to factor in is that employees now have options too because of all the other organizations that were on site and now are hybrid. So uh, make sure you factor that in as well in terms of your decision making. Now let's talk about culture because this is this is the glue that keeps your company together is the culture and culture is hard to build anyhow if unless you're very deliberate about it right and so now to create a culture as you're all in different places is even harder so I want to really get into how you build a culture but to start from where we are at this particular moment a lot of companies everyone work together they have this company culture. Now they're apart. It's relatively easy to keep that going because we all have this banter. We all speak the same language. As you bring in new employees, so let's say there are 10 of us. We've been together forever. Now we've got a new person in. How do we yeah. get them into our culture when when we've all, we're all close friends? How do you get the new yeah. kid in town? That, that is definitely a challenge. And it's a lot easier to feel left out when you're in a virtual team setting uh, than it is when you're part of a a group uh, on site, right? And um, you know, I would say, first of all, acknowledging that this is an issue is step one too, right? Because knowing that they could be left out will help you automatically think about ways to be a little bit more inclusive of them. The other is to encourage them and, and spend some additional time initially on the social aspect of things, right? I, you know, to me, this is very, very important. We are social beings. And, you know, working in a virtual team can be very transactional and dry. And so when you do have someone join the team who is fairly new, you want to spend the additional time having them talk a little bit more about themselves, not necessarily just their professional background and experience, but really get to know them as a person. You know, those connections that you have as part of the overall culture with the other employees uh, in the company might not be something that they're exposed to. And so spending the additional time, whether it's through shadowing, through maybe aligning them with a mentor or, or someone a peer to kind of let them know and, and give them some updates about what's going on in the company that is not you know, purely transactional or here's what we need to do. Uh, and then on those team calls, spend the additional time upfront acknowledging them, uh, letting them know that their voice heard and that uh, they're feeling welcome, right? So it's just a matter of doing that. And by the way, one thing to add, this is not a one and done thing, right? So it's something that you have to exercise on your staff call meetings and really be high touch with them, even in a remote setting uh, for quite a bit until they feel like they're part of the team. So there are two things I think you lose when you are remote. One is those, it's, it's they call it the water cooler conversation in essence, where ideas happen 
just because you're grabbing a coffee with someone from a different department or you guys are just chatting and suddenly ideas are sparked. Suddenly you've lost that in a remote environment, those serendipitous moments. And the other part is just simply the fun of work. So a lot of people enjoy going to work because they're looking forward to getting to see their good friend who is their colleague and they're looking forward to lunch or a coffee. How do you recreate both of those things if you're not in the office? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. And honestly, this is, uh, this is something I'd like to really stress the importance of. Uh, again, we are social beings, right? We, we connect with people. And even though I'm a big proponent of remote work, nothing can replace the face-to-face -face interactions that we have, right? So I think that is something people ache for. And you want to try and mimic as much as possible. Now, you mentioned the water cooler effect, right? Where employees bump into each other to talk about things unrelated to work. Uh, or even the office cubicle effect where employees have, you know, pictures or trophies of their kids or, or loved ones or their pets. And they're great conversation starters, right? So uh, those are really important for the team dynamic and the culture. And, you know, before I get to some, some solutions, uh, I do want to talk about the long-term effects of this, right? So, yes, we've been into this eight or nine months now. But if you're talking about years, you start seeing the effects of things like isolationism, uh, the potential loss of morale. You know, likability among a team is very important, and it's usually built through those informal conversations that are lost. So before I get into some quick, sort, I don't want to call them fixes, but if there are some examples of, of building that, um, I want to make sure that we understand that you have to be intentional about this as a leader, right? So you can't just dismiss it. Um, even when we were 100% on site, we did a lot of team building activities, right? We'd spend the day as a corporate set in a corporate setting, just doing those uh, team building activities and a virtual setting, they're more important. Um, so what are some examples? You know, one idea, which is very simple to implement and it was very common during this, uh, this phase is the virtual coffee break, right? So literally choose a frequency, uh, let's say on a Tuesday morning where you schedule a 15 minute meeting uh, to just catch up over video with your team. And basically just encourage everyone to bring up their favorite cup of coffee, smoothie, tea, whatever, and just chat, right? The idea is do not make it about work because as soon as you do, you're going to have people <laughs> not, not joining that, right? Um, and really the idea is to just get your team excited about getting to chat, uh, you know, about their latest movie that they watched, maybe a book that they read, something going on with their kid. So being intentional about having that uh, meeting a standing call, and then people joining it, I think is one idea. What's the ideal number of people on those meetings? Because I find that when it gets to too many people, I just tune out because it doesn't become a real conversation. Yeah, that's a great question. I think less than 10 is usually ideal. So if you have a larger team, probably think about maybe uh, splitting those in, in two or three and then do a, some sort of a rotation on who joins so that you don't get the same team always joining. Uh, doing you know one on Tuesdays, one on Thursdays, and then kind of uh, kind of match those. But I, I understand. I mean, if if it's you know you've got forty five members on the team, you end up having like only four people talking, right? And and you want to avoid that as well. Right. I mean, even ten members on a team, because everyone starts talking over each other. I wonder if there's any benefit to kind of speed dating, right? So you have one on ones with people, and you have an actual question that you're prompted to answer, so that it's not awkward. Yeah, uh, you know, that, 
So that's, you know, that's one idea. Another idea, which is sort of similar to, uh, to um, you know, the, the whole building the connection and the office cubicle effect, something I call two pictures, right? So it's like an activity where someone shares at the beginning of a call, right? You already have a half hour call. Spend the first five minutes where one member of the team um, shares two pictures about their family, their hobbies, anything they feel comfortable sharing, right? So you want to be careful about the privacy aspect, but anything they feel comfortable about sharing and, you know, have the team ask them questions to learn more about their backgrounds. And, um, you know, you can dedicate an entire meeting just for this. So you can say maybe once every quarter you say, let's get together and do a roundtable and everyone talk uh, about, about their pictures. Or uh, you can just use the, the first five minutes and then rotate who, who, who presents on every single call. That keeps it interesting. That encourages people to join the meetings early to no learn a little bit more uh, about each other. And then that sort of starts building a little bit of that uh, connection, right? That that likability factor uh, and belonging to to one organization and, and sort of build that culture there. So so that's another idea where I think if you have a larger team, you can start dedicating specific time where everyone gets the chance to talk, unlike with a coffee break where you know a couple of people might be dominating. And it feels like, again, to your hybrid model, even if you are 100% remote for the people who live in the same city, you should get together sometimes for whatever it is, dinner, lunch, some activity, some team building activity. 100%. And I think a lot of organizations these days realize that, that, hey, we understand we don't have the budget or these days, obviously, the, the chance to, to travel. Um, and But those who are in a local setting and it's fairly safe to kind of get together, then go for it, right? This is, and, and you do see some encouragement on that front as well. Uh, in terms of funding local activities uh, for those members who are in a remote setting. Now, understandably so, you're going to have a few people who are left out. So there are also middle ground activities where you can have, uh, you know, sort of a, an online meeting where everyone gets, um, you know, as part of a quiz or a trivia game to kind of build those as well. Uh, I think there's like escape rooms now that they that they have virtually. So there are a few things you can also do in an online environment. But I agree, that doesn't mean that you should exclude those who can meet together, um, who are on site in a hybrid environment. Whose job is this? Whose job in your organization is it to figure out how we're going to make this work? Your leaders. Uh, to me, it's super clear. I think whether you're a manager of a small team or uh, a leader of a larger team, uh, then the onus is on you uh, to make sure that you you encourage this, right? Um, this has to come from the top. It, you know, again, culture is built at the top, and this is highly uh, joined at the hip with that. It's it's you have to be intentional, whether it's the the funding of it or uh, it's the encouragement uh, of those nuances and and discussions that happen about everyone's life, right? And by setting an example, by leading the way, and uh, you know, being vulnerable and open and talking about your own personal. Uh, life at the top, you're going to encourage that and start to build the culture. But to me, it's absolutely a leadership uh, executive decision uh, to, to, to encourage that. Are we in for a rocky road as businesses try and figure this out, right? We have all of these great examples of here's what you can do, here's what you can do. But we all know that running a business is hard. Being an employee is often hard. So are it, is it going to be a little tricky in the near future for a lot of companies? You know, yeah, yes and no. I think, you know, I like to view things as a crawl, walk, run phase. I think we pretty stabilized on the crawl phase, right? So more companies more or less figured out, okay, here's what we need to do to work remotely. 
Um, but I think there's a lot of uh, room for improvement in the walk and run phases, right? I think um, one big area to invest in is how do you now work more efficiently? And it really is about upskilling employees. And I think a big room for improvement, JJ, is in the soft skills aspects, right? How do you communicate better? And I don't mean just tools, right? There's a, there's a ton of tools that you can use. What I mean is how do you communicate better in writing? How do you communicate better in presenting, in online meetings? Um, you know, those soft skills were always important, but I think their need is amplified now with a move to, uh, to remote work. So I think there might be some ups and downs to kind of get to understanding how do we communicate and collaborate better. Uh, but I think we're, we're f way far ahead than we'd assume we would be at this point. So I think it's, it's pretty, I'm feeling pretty good about the overall uh, status quo, if you will. You addressed this a bit before, but I want to get into it a bit further. How much should you bring your employees into this conversation? Because what they want may be very different than what you see is important for the company. And so then if they voice their opinion, don't end up getting what they want, they could be frustrated. On the other hand, as you said, you want to be very empathetic and work with your employees. Yeah, you know, this is a, it's a great question because, again, I'm, I'm big on um, being inclusive of the team's opinion and listening to, to what they want. Uh, but at the same time, you know, going back, we talked a little bit about the, the needs of the business and the strategy with the customers and how you want to approach that. And there are multi multiple ways in which you can uh, gather that input from your team. Um, but you also want to be very clear on expectations upfront, right? So what are you doing with that information that you're sharing or asking employees about? Is it just for uh, input so that you can make a bigger decision? Is it a democracy? Is it, well, we're just listening to the to the information so we can make a more informed decision, but we have to be uh, upfront and clear with you that we're not probably going to be able to accommodate all the specific needs uh, and input that we receive, right? So I think there is this, um, you know, the, the transparency aspect, which is fantastic, but you also want to be a little bit careful about how you position that, right? Because you can have it uh, backfire in a certain way. And, uh, you, you know, by setting expectations up front, I think you're going to be able to manage that a little bit better. I would say also, if you are a company uh, that hasn't already defined their company culture, of which there are many because it kind of haphazardly happened, it seems to be working or not. Now is the time, if you're going to go hybrid or 100% remote, that you better define that very clearly. Do you agree with this? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, in addition to defining it very clearly, you know, one thing I want to touch upon about your, your earlier question is, you know, what you share, you know, being in the idea of decision transparency, for example, is uh, it's also dependent on the type of information, right? So, uh, you know, one thing to be careful of is, is uh you know, there are things that are confidential to a business, right? So, um, and there are some privacy implications. I know sometimes people want to talk about some, some transparent decisions uh, that could affect the privacy of your employees. So you have to be very careful with that overall. And again, just to reiterate, you know, what are you doing with that information? Are you positioning it as just info to read about, or are you using it as feedback mechanism for uh, informational input and, and gathering, right? So, so being very uh, upfront about that matters. Are you making the assumption that perhaps because you are remote, you need to share? Is your audio One off second. a I don't bit? know if you can hear me, but I lost you. I'm going to shift to my headset. I can hear you 100%. But I think this is the reason I asked about, about culture is because, oh, you're back on. Okay, well, then I'm okay, going to ask so you this directly. 
<laughs> that, Go was ahead. that was seamless and felt very professional. So you're already you know, in the in the walk stage. <laughs> this is a this is a great lesson for everyone. It's like have a backup plan, right? My my speakers failed on me, uh, and so I had my my headset ready. <laughs> you want that song? <laughs> you didn't even have to know that you couldn't hear me. Um, but what was the assumption that you were making in, in the, the way you addressed that last question that we should be sharing more information with our employees and employees should be sharing more information with each other than we might if we were all in the room together? Yeah, you know, this is there's no right answer to this question um, because it depends on the, again, the culture of the company, the style of the leadership team, right? And I, and I do have a lot of respect for the different opinions on this topic. So I wanted to caveat it by that. Now, having said that, I'm a huge fan of open uh, discussions and transparency on why you made certain uh, decisions. Now, with employees among each other, absolutely. Huge, huge fan because that improves collaboration. It improves decision making. Uh, what I'm talking about here is things to be careful about in terms of you know, legal and tax implications or, or labor, labor laws or privacy implications is top-down communication, right? So yes, you want to be inclusive, you want to be fully transparent, but there are still things that you need to be a little bit extra careful of. At the employee level, at the management levels, um, that information sharing and collaboration is absolutely needed. And the more you can have that, uh, the better it is overall for the company. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm definitely a big proponent of that for sure. It's the same thing to think about as your company grows. When you are tiny, you just know that if I know something, you know something because we're sitting across from each other. And as your company grows, you need to be much more communicative and assume that nobody knows anything that you're thinking. And Definitely. this goes double if you are remote. I want to end with one last question, which is what are the biggest pitfalls? What should we be watching out for that we do not do as we make these decisions? Yeah, I think um, we, we pretty much covered the ideas behind what you need to be a little bit extra cautious of. I think, um, you know, making a decision where you're, you, you don't get to hear from your employees about their concerns and their needs, or you make a decision without factoring in what customers uh, are expecting in terms of, what, you know, how this is going to shape up uh, after uh, this is over is going to be detrimental if you don't approach it the right way, right? So again, it's all about equipping yourself with the right knowledge. Uh, internally, you can run AMAs or ask me anything or have those one-on-one -on -one surveys. Uh, and then externally, same thing, have those conversations about what is happening on, on the customer front and, and reading about what, what trends are happening. But my biggest takeaway is don't rush to make a decision before you have the facts and before being very clear with expectations on how this is going to shape up. All right. I actually do have one more question, which is you have tips for increasing your employees' commitment as they're remote or hybrid. What some what are some tips that you have? Yeah, I'll give you I'll give you a couple really quick. Um, and and the biggest time wasters in a remote environment are emails and meetings. So a couple of really quick things on email is you know do your recipients a favor by keeping your emails short and concise. Right, a good heuristic is five sentences or fewer. And if you absolutely need to write the long email. Do a quick summary and a detailed section where the quick summary is five, five uh, sentences or less. Uh, and then uh, another key to writing very concise emails is using what I call the three W's, the who, the what, the when. So meaning if you have an action item or need someone to kind of help you out with something, explain who it is by writing out their name, 
what you need and when you need it by, right? That alone, just thinking about keeping them short and using the three W's in action-oriented emails is gonna help you out tremendously. And then, excuse me, the other uh, big thing for me is meetings. So you can save a ton of time uh, on meetings by filling the blanks on a very simple sentence. The objective of this meeting is to, and then fill in the blank on an action verb like decide on, generate ideas about, make plans for, and doing this before you set up the meeting could shave it in half, if not eliminate it completely, right? So those are just two very quick tips about emails and meetings in a virtual setting. Um, the thing I, I do this all the time where I write an email, it's really quick, I send it off, and then I write a second email as a third, second question to it and send it off, and then a third one, I'm like, oh, why didn't I just take a second and put it all in one? No, that was so annoying for the recipient. So don't do that. Finally, you you are an interesting thinker, Hassan, and I'm so happy to have gained your insight on this. What do you do? Where do you read? What do you, what do you listen to? What do you read? What do you listen to to get inspired? Uh, thank you for the kind words. So I'm a voracious reader of nonfiction books. I don't read fiction books. I watch fiction. I just don't read it. And so I usually read a lot of uh, nonfiction books at the same time on a personal level. And I'm uh, not too ashamed to admit this. I've gained my fair share of COVID-19 pounds. So <laughs> what I'm reading now is a lot about intermittent fasting and the uh, role of insulin uh, and, and that kind of cool stuff. You know, one book is The Obesity Code by Dr. Jason Fung. Fantastic book. And then on a professional level, uh, I'm reading The Black Swan by Nassim uh, Nicholas Taleb. I know I'm a little bit uh, uh, late to the game on this one, but with the recent events made me uh, finally, you know, grab a copy of that. So those are the types of books I, I'm interested in reading now. And then in terms of listening, I listen to several podcasts. Uh, one that I'm listening to now, which is great, is called The Way I Heard It by Mike Rowe, uh, which is about short stories for the curious mind, as he puts it. And he's just a fantastic storyteller. Uh, and the episodes are great if you don't have a lot of time and just want to listen to something really quick. So that's, that's it in a nutshell. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm going to go check that out. Well, Hassan, thank you so much. This is a, a problem or a question, as we talked about in the beginning, that we are that so many people are grappling with right now. I think we've got a couple of years ahead as we figure this all out, but we really, really appreciate your insight. It's been an incredibly helpful conversation. We appreciate your time. I appreciate your thoughtfulness. And everyone in there in the audience, thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you learned as much from this dialogue as I have. For more office hours and business insights, please visit us at americanexpress.com slash business class. Great to see you all. Thanks for listening to Office Hours, part of Business Class from American Express. You can find a schedule of upcoming live episodes and learn more about Business Class from American Express by visiting amex.co slash office hours. That's amex.co slash office hours. Looking for new ways to keep up with the latest business trends and insights? Business Class from American Express is a new educational resource to help today's business leaders adapt to the current economic environment. To view compelling stories, timely tips, and inspiring insights from industry experts, leaders, and street-savvy entrepreneurs, visit amex.co slash business class.